Hey everyone, it's the Kung Fu Genius, aka Alex Richter. And if you're listening to us on audio only, I'd appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to it. And of course, if you like what I do here, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius on YouTube and hit that bell for notifications. Are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for Kung Fu Genius fans. Right now, you can get an all-access one-month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to wcinewsstand.com and register in the upper right-hand corner, fill in your email and password, and use the code KFGTRIAL to get your free trial to the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right, all the issues, even the one with this guy on the cover. My Kung Fu Genius column is in all the new issues, as if you need another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And with that, let's get started. All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of Bruce Lee not learning the wooden dummy, and lots of, yo, Sifu, I need you to solve this hypothetical existential drama craziness that we're into. You need to get back like Scott Bakula with the quickness and the thickness. Hurry. Let's get to it he is unstoppable unbeatable unbelievable he's alex richter the kung fu genius and every day i practice martial arts yo dre how you doing man I'm cool, Sifu. Yeah, real cool. I'm really cool. Real cool. Cool yeah. like a like a toddler, all right, that you have to tell everything four times to. All right? So anyway. Why, uh, where did that come from? Huh? Doesn't That's out of left field. Doesn't matter where That's it That's way from. out of left. Doesn't matter. Not really, all right? Not really. <laughs> if the audience could hear the conversation we had just before mm. we recorded, they would understand perfectly. They would understand right? perfectly. That okay. it's basically uh, Mikey Dean, our sound guy, going, yeah, yo, Dre, turn on your mic. And then Dre just keeps talking about whatever the hell he's talking about. Um, Dre, I'm going to need you to turn on your mic. And then Dre keeps doing his thing, mucking around. Uh, Dre, I'm going to need you to turn on the mic and put it in front of you. I don't don't think it was four times. At least four times. (laughs) At least two. (laughs) I like like how that's a thing with uh, Dre. It's like, he's an adult. You still need to tell him twice. <laughs> it, well, you know, it's like, wait, no, it wasn't four times. You only had to tell me twice. All oh, right. Man. All right. So oh, man. how you doing, man? How's everything? I'm good, man. All good. right. I am. Uh, it's a little warm in here. It is warm in here. We talked, about this summer. In a, we talked about this in a recent podcast. Summer is approaching. Yeah. So now the uh, podcast studio is just basically like the same vibe as some sweaty gym shorts. <laughs> so being inside sweaty gym shorts while they're being used. Yeah. So anyway. Being inside a pod. Exactly. Yeah. So what you got for me, man? Mo Howard. Mo Howard in the house. Fresh out the gate. I seem to remember on a previous episode that you stated that I'm paraphrasing Bruce Lee for the little bit of training he had, still had a better understanding of Wing Chun than most people that call themselves Grand Master. Is that because Bruce was just that good of a fighter? Because he had a good philosophy on Wing Chun? Or because those supposed Grand Masters are really charlatans? Or maybe all three? 
What are your thoughts? Wow, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, just my knee-jerk reaction to that question would be it's most likely a combination of all three mm. because, again, the, the Wing Chun Sivus or the Wing Chun instructors that call themselves Grandmaster, there are multiple categories of those guys, all right? So, like, again, it's very difficult to lump all of them into one category because there are people who who teach in a very traditional way and to a certain degree they may be considered the grandmaster of their own style or whatever well i don't necessarily believe in those titles but if they want to go that route they can make an argument about that right but then you have uh particularly in the wt lineage a bunch of guys who kind of left the association as like a mid-level technician or something like that mm-hmm. and then gifted themselves the gold stripes and our grandmasters and these guys could not order tea in a Hong Kong tea house if you held a gun to their head, right? But oh. you, but you're you're meant to believe that their knowledge of Chinese culture is so nuanced that they're, they're deserving of wearing gold stripes or something like that, right? So you have guys... Um, that's kind of all across the board. You got guys, and no doubt some of these self-proclaimed grandmasters, like let's say from the European Wing Chun organization from where I came from, yeah, a lot of these guys can fight and they have some skill, but that's mm-hmm. different question as to whether these are these are people who should be considered grandmasters of the art, right? Whether that title is even important. I, I don't think it's important at all. I think it should go away. Uh, I'm not even a fan of the title master. Um, so you have those guys and then you so have... away and, with that movie too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then you have just people who gave themselves a title for no reason and people who think these titles are important. So um, the reason why I, I said that, that I think Bruce Lee is... His well, his skill and understanding is better than some of these guys, um, even though he didn't learn the whole Wing Chun system, is because for some of these people who profess to be either grandmasters or people who learn the whole Wing Chun system, mm-hmm. the thing that they tend to proclaim about themselves is the completeness of what they have learned. They've learned all the forms, they learned all the chi sao, all the applications, so on and so forth. So their their claim to being great or a master or whatever comes from uh, they stuck around and learned all the stuff, right? Um, however, in Wing Chun, it's a little bit different because it really doesn't matter whether you've learned all of those things, whether you learned the knives and the pole and all the wooden dummy and completed the final sections with their applications and stuff like that. It's um, if you touch hands with someone or someone tries to punch you in the face, can you stop them from punching you in the face? Okay. And so for sure, there are people out there who call themselves grandmasters uh, who also can defend themselves and use Wing Chun and understand it from a fighting and practical perspective. Again, it's difficult to dump everyone into one category just because I think most of these self-proclaimed grandmasters are kind of clowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for sure, there are some of these guys who are tough guys and know how to fight and, and, and can, can do something if you, if you throw a punch at them. Bruce Lee didn't really seem that concerned with... Uh, learning the entire Wing Chun system per se, although in 1965, he did go back to Hong Kong and ask Grandmaster Yip Man to teach him the wooden dummy techniques, which he had not learned yet. And uh, Grandmaster Yip Man famously refused, all right, uh, which um, we don't really know why. There's a lot of, Man. like, on the on like the Bruce Lee hater side, um, there are some arguments that are pretty ridiculous. I actually talked about this with Matt Pauly. Uh, there was someone who said that you know Bruce had offered Yip Man the um, 
a sum uh, that was equivalent to like buying a flat in Hong Kong or something, which wow. uh, which means you know for those of you who are not Mikey Dean, that means an apartment. Um, <laughs> okay. And so, uh, <laughs> and and they this, call them flats in Hong Kong. Yes, yes, okay. because they were they were ruled by they had These British guys. they had British overlords for a while, right? Yeah. So you know they they have flats and they have lifts and they don't they rent things. Going around trying they, to take stuff. they don't they don't rent things they let things. Okay, all right. So yeah. World War Champion colonial champions of the world number one that's right so uh but but this doesn't really make any sense uh uh, bruce lee wanted to learn the wooden dummy techniques and then offered grandmaster yip man um a sum of uh what would be the equivalent of a flat in hong kong this this doesn't actually make any sense first of all for people who don't understand because a lot of modern wing chun people are like why would he pay so much to learn the wooden dummy you can just learn it on youtube all right um there was no youtube in the 60s and uh contrary to popular belief Learning the wooden dummy was not something that everyone learned in Wing Chun. Nowadays, a lot of people or wannabe Wing Chun people think learning Wing Chun is like going to a buffet. Oh, you just learn the forms and watch your video and, oh, okay, I know the wooden dummy techniques. No, you have to learn the system step by step for any of these things to make sense. If you learn or teach yourself the wooden dummy form from a video, that doesn't mean you have any idea about how that works, how to use that stuff, how to actually do the form correctly, much less how to actually use it if someone fires a punch at you, right? So. In, in those days, things like the wooden dummy and the pole and the knives, these were highly coveted because they weren't taught to everyone, right? Nowadays, most modern Wing Chun people think everyone learned everything, and it really was not like that. Uh, even Sifu Chen Chi Man, my, my late uh, friend, uh, I asked him when he learned the wooden dummy techniques, um, you know, what was that like? Because that was a big deal back then. And he was learning... Uh, privately and semi-privately from Grandmaster Yip Man. He said, you know, in order to learn the wooden dummy techniques, he had to pay Grandmaster Yip Man a, a red pocket, a, a fat fee, like to for his seafood to teach him the wooden dummy. Pocket. And um, he said that um, he goes, he, he didn't remember the exact sum because, of course, he would have to, like, recalculate that into the late 50s uh, Hong Kong currency or whatever. But he said it was, let's just say it's what we would call a princely sum to learn the wooden dummy techniques. And Chan Chi Man told me, he says, you know, at that time, I actually couldn't afford it. Uh, He had to borrow money from his brother. Ooh. To um, to have enough money to pay Grandmaster Yip Man to teach him the wooden dummy techniques, wow. right? So these things were highly coveted. So the idea that Bruce Lee in 1965 would have offered Grandmaster Yip Man a large sum of money to teach him the wooden dummy techniques—that's not—that's not crazy. That makes sense. The question is. What was that sum? Like the big rumor, which mm. is mostly, it's been mostly propagated by Yip Chun, by, by Yip Man's son, um, who had just recently arrived in Hong Kong at that time that Bruce Lee would have come back in 1965. Um, he's basically the one who says that uh, uh, Bruce Lee offered Yip Man of the sum of what's equivalent to a flat in Hong Kong to teach him the wooden dummy techniques. And and my father refused because you know my father cannot be bought or whatever. Right. It's like yeah. your father can't be bought. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know the history of of how most of his high level students actually learn? Do you know how much Leung Tang paid uh-huh. Yip Man? Do you know how much Tang Sang paid Yip Man to learn from him? Like I mean, come on, t- take it easy, buddy. All right. Um, and wow. it, it doesn't make sense because at the time that Bruce Lee came to Hong Kong. Uh, in that trip, which was like February or March, I believe, of 65. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong by a year, but I think I think it was 1965. He had just signed um, he had just signed a contract. He had just done that famous um, 
screen test. Okay. All right. That screen yeah. test was done around February of that year because if you listen to the whole screen test, he talks about how Brandon was just born and how he's not getting any sleep at night. All right. And then very shortly after that, he went to Hong Kong with Brandon. That's why you can actually see a photo of Grandmaster Yip Man holding baby Brandon. Because wow. basically right after Brandon was born, or very shortly after, Bruce went to Hong Kong with the family. And the reason was because they had not, uh, the studio had not yet decided whether to give Bruce Lee that role. That screen test was not for Green Hornet. That screen test was for uh, Charlie Chan's number one son. And so what they did is they gave Bruce an advance to kind of like a retainer, like, okay, they're going to pay him a, a fee in advance, like mm -hmm. let's say the equivalent nowadays of a few thousand dollars. So uh, Bruce had a little bit of money, and with that money he decided to go to Hong Kong and visit his family uh, because he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't be working right away anyway, right? Which actually kind of shows you Bruce's uh, habit of the moment he gets a little bit of money, he pretty much spent it right away. <laughs> Anytime he got a little bit of money, yeah. when, when his father passed away, and he inherited a little bit of money from his father's real estate properties. He bought a Porsche right away yeah, to compete with right. uh, to compete with Steve, Steve McQueen, McQueen, right? Okay. And so you kind of have this idea that the Bruce wasn't easy come, really, easy go. Bruce wasn't a spendthrift by any <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. So I wonder so, how mm -hmm. uh, long you think uh, Bruce Lee had this on his mind of going to. Grandmaster Yip Man. I don't know. I mean, uh, he... Was it like spur of the moment? I want to learn what a dummy. Or was he... No. Uh, the thing is, I don't know. All of that would be speculation. Mm -hmm. uh, Bruce was in Hong Kong about two years earlier. He went with Doug... Uh, Doug Palmer met him in Hong Kong. Okay. And Doug Palmer in his book talks about how uh, Bruce went over to Yip Man's place and, and trained some cheese out with him. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until this trip in the um, in 1965 that it seemed that Bruce kind of put a little pressure on his seafood to maybe teach him something more advanced. That was also subsequently the trip where Bruce did that famous photo shoot. So uh, oddly enough, a majority of the photos of Grandmaster Yip Man performing Wing Chun like, yeah. are, are from that photo shoot that, obviously, that oddly enough Bruce Lee took, right? Mm. And some of those photos are Bruce Lee with Yip Man, and some of those photos are Bruce's friend Robert Chan with Yip Man, who every time people see Robert Chan, everyone thinks it's either Bruce Lee or William Chang, right? But Robert Chan was a, a family friend of, uh, of, of Bruce Lee's family. Okay. And Robert Chan, uh, Bruce also gave Robert Chan a very small role in Way of the Dragon. He was one of the waiters. But he was one of the waiters that did not have any speaking parts, right? What? Which yeah. waiter? Uh, did he, he get beat he, up at any point? No, he's literally like the one waiter oh. that doesn't talk at all. He's just kind of like in the background, oh. right? Um, and um, you can also see Robert Chan in the um, in Bruce Lee's funeral footage. He, he comes out mm, when Linda okay. comes out of the car. Uh, she's Linda's basically being propped up by Raymond Chow on her left, and on her right is Robert Chan. Oh, right. um, and that Robert Chan is the one that did the photos with Yip Man earlier, right? So it seems that at that time. Bruce maybe convinced Yip Man to take some photos and also wanted to learn the wooden dummy techniques. Now, it makes sense because on that trip, Bruce had a little bit of extra coin because he got this advance from the TV studio. Okay. So he was kind of in a financial situation to pay his Sifu a little bit more money to learn more advanced stuff, right? Uh, but the idea that he would have paid him the equivalent of what a flat cost in Hong Kong um, I talked to Matt Polly about that, right? It doesn't really seem to make sense because Bruce had, it, it would be the equivalent like if you had a couple thousand dollars in your pocket. Like that doesn't mean you can buy an apartment, right? It just <laughs> right, means right. you have a few thousand dollars, yeah. right? So, so it, it's possible that what was meant, because of course, whatever Yip Chun would have said about it would have been said in Cantonese. So 
the interpretation of that would have been up to the person translating that into English. I, I think it just meant the equivalent of one month's rent. God. I don't think it actually meant a an apartment in Hong crib. Kong. All right. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 that doesn't make any sense because <laughs> if Bruce had that money, he would have bought a crib himself at that time <laughs> yeah. in Hong Kong. Right. True, true. So um, and for whatever reason, Grandmaster Yip Man refused. OK. Now, uh, there's a lot of speculation because of Bruce Lee's uh, ancestry, not being pure blood Chinese and this and wow. that or whatever. I don't really know what the story is. And maybe it's because. Bruce Lee had not formally learned Buji yet, and maybe Yip Man didn't feel, well, maybe you're not qualified to learn Wooden Dummy because you had not learned Buji yet. Oddly enough, um, uh, my former teacher, Leung Teng, I asked him about this, and he said that during that same trip, or perhaps during the previous trip that was in the 63, uh, 1963, 62, 63, I think, uh -huh. 63, Bruce actually went to Leung Seung, Leung Seung being uh, Yip Man's first student, also the first teacher of Leung Teng, and learned the Buji form from Leung Seung, um, hmm. kind of on the, on the sly a little bit, right? Um, and I've heard that from a few other people, though I don't know if that's actually true. Um, but some people say that uh, Bruce had kind of in secret learned the Buji form from Leung Seung. Uh, no idea if that's wow. true. Though. People say shit like that all the time. But the, 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 my, my follow-up question is always, okay, great. How do you know? Some dude told me. How does that dude know? All okay. Right? You know what I mean? So, so we don't know. These are things. So, so to kind of circle back to the question. Uh-huh. On, on one hand, it seemed that Bruce wasn't overly concerned with completing the system, like learning everything and the pole and the knives, because I think he would have pushed a little bit more. Um, but he definitely did want to learn more than what he had learned prior to 1959 coming to the States. So it seems that uh, what he had learned, which he was able to apply, perhaps better than some people who had learned more, Bruce still wanted to learn a little bit more, whether he wanted to learn the entire system, including the weapons, or he just wanted to complete the wooden dummy or something else. He definitely did, and he came up to a roadblock. Now, this is also where a lot of the Chinese mm -hmm. Bruce Lee haters come up with their grand conspiracy, because Bruce Lee goes to Hong Kong, and quote unquote famously gets denied by his Sifu in completing Damn. the wooden dummy techniques. And then just a year or two later, coins the term Jeet Kune Do. And that is where the Chinese Bruce Lee haters, like especially the, the, the jealous Nancys in the Wing Chun family, go, see, Bruce wanted to finish learning Wing Chun, couldn't. So then what did he do? He created his own style so that he could be the boss man, right? And as I discussed on a previous podcast, anyone who thinks that Bruce Lee created Jeet Kune Do so that he could be the boss man of his own style clearly has not read any notes that Bruce Lee had written about Jeet Kune Do. Because okay. Bruce, like I said uh, before, a lot of his notes are him wrestling with the idea of, did I create an established style? Because right. I don't want to do that. He's more the anti-boss. Exactly. So so to think that, oh, I Bruce cannot be the boss man of Wing Chun, so he'll be the boss man of his own style is kind of ridiculous. Um, so having said that, what Bruce had learned from Wing Chun, I think he was able to apply it better than some of the other guys because that earlier generation, the generation of Wong Sun and William Chung, those guys, um, they went out and actually scrapped with this stuff and saw what worked and what didn't, mm. uh, regardless of whether they had completed the system or not. So I think of what Bruce Lee learned, he had a pretty good idea of what worked and what didn't. Okay. Whereas the middle generation and the later period generation of Yip Man students, they were kind of riding on the coattails of 
the first generation having made the reputation for Wing Chun. So they weren't the ones that had to go out and beat up other people. The reputation was already established. So a lot of those guys maybe had access to learning more stuff from Grandmaster Yip Man, but that doesn't mean that they had forged it uh, on you know the rooftops against uh, mm-hmm. praying mantis guys and other guys or whatever. So so that means that Bruce probably was less refined in the execution of the Wing Chun technique than some of the other guys that yeah. had the chance to learn more. But that doesn't mean that he was less skillful. And I would extend that comparison to a lot of new age WT grandmasters who have all this refined technique or whatever, but um, have not necessarily tried it against someone who's who's trying to murder their face with their fists. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I, I think that Bruce definitely was able to apply a lot of what he was able to learn, even if what he was able to learn was limited. Um, and I do push back a little bit on people who say, oh, I don't think Bruce cared about learning the system at all. And I go, well, he clearly did because he, he he did try to push his seafood to learn mm-hmm. more. And exactly how that story played out or why or whether it's true or whatever, um, you know, it, it's falling into that category of perhaps unknown and unknowable. Hmm. Question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sijo. He started Wing Chun when? Was he around for that? 1965? So you're talking about your CJ. You're yeah. talking about Leung Teng. Yeah, my okay. CJ. So Leung Teng, Not your CJ. Uh, Leung Teng um, would have started Wing Chun around 1960 mm. uh, because he started um, he started Wing Chun at age 13. He was born in 1947. Okay. Uh, so he started learning from Leung Seung. Yip Bun's first student would be have to be around 1960. And he trained with Leung Seung uh until about 1966 okay so um that means so that he possible he was there but he it's won. possible that he was there um but I don't think he was because when I asked um uh Sifu Langting like about the Bruce Lee thing and he said oh actually Bruce Lee came to Hong Kong and learned the Buji from my Sifu I said how do you know he says my Siheng told me ah. so I I have the um I have the impression that Maybe Leung Teng wasn't there when it happened. All right, mm-hmm. I would assume his seeing that he's referring to might be Kwok Kang, but I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, and then later uh, Leung Teng in the the, the 60, 66, 67 started to teach Wing Chun kind of independently, and um, and then later had the chance to learn privately from from Grandmaster Yip Man in the late sixties. So um, that's his story. So yeah, he was around at that time, but um, he was kind of. Um, as Siva Lang Ting would say, he was kind of small potatoes at that time. So, you know, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. So what else you got? Next up, we got Fab Myers. Fab All Myers right. in the house. He's the uh, relative of a famous... Mike Myers? Yeah. All right. Have you seen the... Uh, no. The new Mike Myers? No, I don't watch that shit. No, you don't watch it? No. I have, and it's great. I love it. Yes. I love it. Oh, I heard it was terrible. Now I watch a review. I watch a review on YouTube, and and like everything that was wrong with it is like that's pretty much what I expected it to be. I saw the first one, the first Halloween. That was good. No, I'm talking about the Pantaverit. Oh, that. Yeah. Oh, what were you talking about? Mike? I think he was talking about the latest Halloween movie, Mike no. Myers, like Mike Myers Halloween. Oh, that Mike Myers. Jesus Christ, we're Michael even... Myers. I'm not talking Myers. You know. Yeah, Mike Myers, the Canadian comedian. Uh-huh. Michael Myers is a fictional character. So what are we talking about here? He said Mike. Mike Myers, as in, you know, Austin Powers. Oh, okay, okay, okay. No, I didn't watch it. Is is it good? It's good. It's actually really good. Oh, right, okay, I'll check that out. Sorry, I thought you were talking about the latest Halloween movie. Hell no. I apologize. All right. (laughs) 
I apologize, fans. All right. It's not Halloween in here. That's right. Straight. No, this is straight <laughs> boiler room in here. All right. <laughs> Hi, KFG and team. Mm. Thank you for answering my question about Chan Wai Man. I greatly appreciate it. I've another question for you. Over the years, I have been fortunate to learn from several of Bruce Lee's original students from Seattle, Oakland, and LA. Damn, bro, get around. In your experience or opinion, do you think the guys that trained during the earlier periods were better fighters or better equipped to deal with self-defense situation compared to the students from the LA period? Do you think that what? was taught in LA was geared more towards competition or sparring rather than dealing with a potential life-threatening situation. I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts. Many thanks. Um, that's a great question. We've, we've touched on this topic on a few different episodes. So the first thing I have to say is that there's always everyone who learns a martial art. All right. Like, so let's just, let's just talk about either Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do as examples, just to stay within I mean, I'm not a Jeet Kune Do guy, but I play one on TV. Um, but just to, just, just, to stay, just to stay within our wheelhouse here, either Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do, right? Everyone... I'm just picturing you playing a, wheel, a, a Jeet Kune Do guy yeah, on wearing some, a like, yellow show, track suit on some show. This is Jeet Kune Do, right? You wear yellow track suits, that's yeah. your uniform? That's it. Thinking the uniform oh, is different colors for different that's ranks. That's your name, like, Jeet Kune Do guy. Get, getting it all wrong. Right? I thought you were going to say that you pictured him playing a wheelhouse on TV. A <laughs> wheelhouse. That's the name I, of the show. How would do that? Mm. That's the name of the show. Jeet yes. Kune Do guy in wheelhouse. All right. Next episode. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, so within Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do as two examples... Uh, in Wing Chun, you have three periods of Yip Man's teaching, the early, middle, and late period, which have mm. very creative names. And then, uh, <laughs> and, and then in Bruce Lee's teaching, you essentially have the Seattle period, the Oakland period, and, and the, the LA, LA period, period, right? The so early, it seems middle, that, and late. Yeah, so it seems that there's this kind of... Uh, there's a trend. This kind of trend to kind of divide every instructor's teaching tenure into three stages or phases or whatever, right? I don't want to find out when your late period... Uh, late period's almost done. No, 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 right? no, yeah. no, shut no, up. No, I'm gonna di I'm gonna die in a plane crash next month. All right? No, okay. shut up. So um, I would hate that. Yeah, uh, you're not getting my books, by the way. All right. Uh, so um, anyway, uh, whether it's Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do, you will very rarely find someone who learned from any period uh, that won't say the period that they come from is the best or most important. Okay, so. Um, Let's say Wing Chun, for example, all right? Wing Chun early period, which we just touched on in the previous question, all right? The early period of Wing Chun, those guys were learning directly from Yip Man because he, you know, he didn't have any assistance. He had to teach himself. So they were learning by hand from the master himself, and they were going out and testing themselves against other Kung Fu styles. So they were kind of almost like a, like a science experiment for this yeah. new style, right? And so the, those who learn in the first generation will tell you, well, they're from the generation that actually went out and fought with Wing Chun. So therefore... They're the ones that actually know how to use this stuff better. Then, then the middle period, the perception of the middle period is they, were, they had access to more advanced techniques. For whatever reason, Yip Man at that time decided to be a little bit more open about teaching advanced stuff like wooden dummy and pole and things like that. So they would tend to say that the middle period is a little bit more refined in their technique. All right, And they had more access to that kind of stuff. And then the final period... 
uh, shortly before Grandmaster Yip Man uh, passed away, yeah. they're going to say, well, he had retired and he was worried about legacy and he was worried about things being carried on after he had passed away. So the few students that he taught in that period, he really kind of poured everything he could into them to make sure that they kind of knew everything or whatever, right? So if you're an early period guy, you're a fighter. If you're a middle period guy, you're technical. And if you're a later period guy, you'll learned everything, all right, okay? <laughs> oh, no. And uh, But the thing is that you, you, will, you will rarely find someone of any of those three periods say that actually the period they learned in sucked and uh, they really wish they could have been uh, from another period. Oh. Because because everyone is going to find the reasons why their Sifu, their teacher, the time their teacher learned is the best time because they're, they're reverse engineering the reasons why the, the school they happen to join by accident is the best. All right. So, um, you know, so, so for, for, for all of those reasons that prop up those different generations mm -hmm. all right um you you also have people you, you also have the opposite arguments well yipman constantly refined his teaching system and up, upgraded and updated the techniques uh as he started to get more experience both as a teacher and with wing chun being used so the first period or the first generation they learned a very raw unrefined version of the techniques so it's like so and, and i'm not saying i agree on that, I'm just saying that for every generation, they're going to tell you why their generation is the best, and another generation is going to tell you why they're actually not so good. Man. So they actually spin it on their head. The first generation, great fighters. Oh, but some people are going to say, yeah, but they didn't really learn the refined technique. Grandmaster Yip Man really hadn't polished his teaching system or how to teach stuff, and he was constantly changing the wooden Basically dummy technique. Basically saying right? they're not great fighters. Yeah, and and then and no, not that. Just okay. that the, the they might be great fighters, but not with super refined technique. Okay. Um, so again, but which one matters more? All right. So all I'm saying is that what for some person is this huge justification, another group finds a way to attack that. This is always this way. The middle period, they learned all the refined techniques. All right. Someone else is going to say Grandmaster Yip Man was struggling with a hardcore opium addiction and needed money. So therefore, he was more open to teaching advanced stuff because that he got paid for that. Hmm. So in order to keep you as a student, you say, hey, I'll teach you the wind. I mean, you just pay me this, pay me this, pay me this. Wow. So then on one hand, it's all, you know, sunshines and rainbows that Yip Man was teaching this like advanced stuff. But on the other hand, they're going to say, yeah, because he had a hardcore opium addiction and needed money. All right. And so, then. So wait a minute. He had a hardcore opium addiction, but that was not. Oh, OK. That's why he's better because he needed the money, not because he was high all the time. Does opium get you high? Oh, get out of here, man. Get out of here, man. All right. No. All right. So anyway, um, and then and then and then the final period. Okay, Grandmaster Yitman was Grandmaster Yitman was worried about retiring, mm -hmm. so he wanted to pour all of his knowledge and promote Wing Chun and promote some people who might be able to to push Wing Chun into the future. And then the other group says he was such an old man he couldn't even pick up the long pole at that time. So so the problem is. Um, you, you know, like what, what for one group is this huge prop up point for another group is the exact thing that they basically use to attack that. Now we come to Bruce Lee's development as a martial artist, right? When he was teaching in the late fifties and early sixties in, let's say his Seattle period, what he was teaching was a lot closer to Wing Chun and it was a lot more simplified and stripped down and direct. <laughs> Heavy forward pressure style. Chi Sao, step in, blast the guy with chain punch. Quick kick, blast the guy with chain punches. Pax out, laps out, and very heavy pressure. Chi out with a couple combinations. Wash, rinse, and repeat. All right? Um, mm. As Jesse Glover, the late Jesse Glover, Bruce Lee's first student, 
in the 1980s was invited to Europe uh, by the European Wing Chun organization to kind of show what he had learned from Bruce Lee. And everyone was, you know, everyone attended the seminar. Everyone was super excited. And then Jesse Glover has this very powerful uh, expression of Wing Chun, you know, where he's just kind of throwing, chucking dudes and he's got very powerful chi sao, chain punches, whatever. And then they invite him to come back again. He teaches again. And by the third or fourth time that uh, they invite him, fewer and fewer people come. Mm. And do you know the reason why? Because he kept teaching the same thing. Because that's all he learned. Wow. So whereas like in Wing Chun, we have this thing where we have like layers upon layers upon layers. And I'm not saying that Jesse Glover's Wing Chun or his non-classical Kung Fu did not have layers upon layers. Uh But people were expecting to come and learn more movements and more techniques. And essentially, Jesse Glover had dedicated his martial arts training to, I'm just spitballing, to 10 moves, mm-hmm. all right? A couple kicks, chain punches, a couple power-based power based chi-sao, power-based chi-sao combinations, and a, a, some ideas, right? And that's a gross oversimplification, and that's not just to to belittle what Jesse Glover did. I'm just saying, like, he, he's not, he, he's not this, he was not this eclectic collector of all these things in Wing Chun and all these things. He was, Salon he was foundation. a specialist, and yeah. that's also what made him so effing powerful and so dangerous, right? Special so, sniper. so at some point, they stopped inviting him because, well, he's not going to teach anything new because literally that's all he learned. So once you learn that, what do you do with it? You just get better at it. Yeah. So there's a there's something to be said for the highly specialized forward pressure based cheese uh, out forward, like, you know, going in with heavy punches, kind of Wing Chun stuff that Bruce Lee taught in the early years. And then in the Oakland days, of course, that was very pivotal because that's when he starts to develop the philosophies that would become Jeet Kune Do because of his fight with Wong Jack Man. And now he's experimenting with different training methodologies and so on and so forth. And later then in the L.A. period, he now has this martial art called Jeet Kune Do with these five ways of attack. And it's much more, you know, there's a kind of a, for lack of a better term, a kickboxing element to it, which didn't exist in the Seattle time period. Right? Mm-hmm. When you look at the guys in the Seattle time period, they were basically like, stand there, you come at me, I'm going to step in and blast you, bro. Um, and then when you're looking at Jeet Kune Do later, 10, about 10 years later, right. there's like five ways of attack and movement and distance and all this other kind of stuff, these kind of almost fencing-like ideas applied to a strong side lead, which wasn't really the idea in the in the late 50s, right? So the question is, well, then which one is better, all right? And here, if you're a student of history, you fall into the same exact situation as you do with Yip Man's three phases, okay? So maybe the early period students of Bruce Lee were better fighters because they just learned the simplified way of stepping in and punching and blasting and and doing some super, super simple Wing Chun. Whereas later, as Bruce developed himself, Bruce already knew how to fight. So what was he trying to develop? A way to fight better, a way to fight in different types of situations, right? It's not enough to just be on a rooftop and blast someone with chain punches. Now you're fighting with a high-level karate guy or uh, let's say even maybe a boxer, and you want to be able to move around and match them and use tactics that are going to baffle them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, um, a karate champion named um, Louis Delgado in the 60s. And Louis Delgado beat Chuck Norris. So this guy was like, a, a, he was a top of the food chain guy. And wow. there's video footage of Louis Delgado training at Bruce Lee's house uh, in the backyard. He's doing like a kick combination with Dan and Asanto. 
And if you look at that kick combination, so first of all, Bruce is like filming and Bruce is watching. So Bruce knows that this Luis Delgado guy is really, really good. So he's watching him like a hawk, mm. all right, looking at his movements. Why? Because at this time, Bruce knows how to fight. He knows how to step in and blast dudes with punches and all that kind of stuff. He's learning to expand himself as a martial artist, right? So the question is, okay, well, do you just care about fighting or do you want to expand yourself as a martial artist, right? I have an idea of how to use my Wing Chun and self-defense based on my experience and my sparring. I still, mm -hmm. on Thursdays, I go and I beat Magno from Henzo Gracie and I train with him for an hour because as a martial artist, I'm totally fascinated by that Sick. stuff, right? Sick, right? But but that doesn't mean that now when someone attacks me using Wing Chun, I'm going to like pull guard and try to like put them into a leg <laughs> lock or lay, something like that, right? No, or just, you know, go for a single <laughs> leg and put them into, you know, a heel hook or something oh. like that. But I'm totally fascinated by learning that stuff, right? But we, we can, when you have a skill base that you are uh, happy with or comfortable with, you can expand and learn other stuff and that not be some kind of affront to what you have done previously, right? Mm. Um, Dan Inosanto said that whenever Bruce Lee was serious about a fight, he always reverted back to Wing Chun anyway. So it's also possible that a lot of the things that he was developing during that latter period Jeet Kune Do uh, phase okay. were things that he was developing as a martial artist, but he always knew that in his back pocket he had this toolkit. If, if things got a little too hard, he had his chain punches, his kicks, maybe an elbow or something like that, right? Um, so it's very difficult to answer because ultimately it's about what do you like better, mm. you know? So anyway, he was watching uh, Luis Delgado like a hawk, watching the, these kick combinations with uh, Dan and Asanto. And later, that exact kick combination Bruce Lee used in Enter the Dragon. You can actually nice. see it one for one. It's the same. So Bruce was constantly learning and innovating. But that might not have had anything to do with his fighting skill. That was something he ended up using in his movies, right? So it's very difficult to say exactly what was the idea of Bruce Lee's development in the late 70s. How much of that was just for himself to just be a more badass martial artist? How much of that was he really using with the, the idea? Late 60s, right? Late 60s, yeah. sorry. Um, uh, how much of that was he really thinking about, okay, this cool karate kick combo is really something I'm going to use to defend myself when someone is like putting pressure on me or this could be something for the movies or this is just something I'm interested in learning as a martial artist right so like like for me the jujitsu stuff is super fascinating because I'm a martial arts geek but I don't go like oh man the thing I need now is like a double leg takedown in the middle of Poonsao you know what I mean <laughs> okay. um, but I but I'm totally fascinated by learning that stuff so that Luis Delgado guy who had beat Chuck Norris and Bruce respected enough to kind of watch him or whatever. Luis Delgado said that when he sparred with Bruce Lee, he could only describe it as baffling. That he really, like, did, just didn't know what to do against Bruce. All right? And this was someone who beat Chuck Norris in competition. All right? So, um... Interesting. So, when you hear something like baffling, that, that in what I understand from that is Bruce out kickboxed the karate champion um, because if Bruce just stepped in and you know packs out punch and chain punch him he'd be like just Bruce just ran he would he would probably as a karate guy say Bruce just ran over me with these hand techniques yeah. but he just he said that it was baffling which in my opinion gives me the impression that Bruce wanted to be better at all of these guys at their own game even if that wasn't necessarily what he relied on himself it was kind of like uh, wow. a, a, a high-level grappler in, in UFC fighting another striker and the grappler guy decides to get so good at striking he's going to outstrike the striker just to show him like I can beat you at your game right <laughs> yeah um, and so there's too many variables to say what period is better which students were more equipped for what 
um, because this is one, an individual thing based on the student, and two, it's also based on what you care about, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think Bruce's later Jeet Kune Do was interested in competition, even though he was helping karate guys, but that, that seems separate from what he was teaching in Jeet Kune Do, but um, ultimately, which one do you like better? All right, which one, which one when, when you practice, you know, for someone who practiced with instructors from all three periods, when you practice these things, which one sings to you? Yeah. Which one makes you go? Which yeah. one calls you? Yeah. Which one makes you go? Yeah. All right. And then do that one and expand that one. <laughs> that would be my advice. It doesn't matter what my opinion is on it. It's irrelevant. It's all the individual. Up to yeah. the individual. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 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 Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners, if you're a Wing Chun practitioner, especially from the WT or Learning line, and want to get really personalized immersion training with me, you can now apply to do an immersion course with me here in NYC, or if you like the sun, in my Florida home near Orlando. These courses are for instructors or anyone who's serious about learning the art in detail and working hard. I teach in program blocks like Siunam Tao, Cham Q, Buji, Wooden Dummy, and those include the Chi Sao Theory, Fighting Applications, and Training Methods as well. If you're really serious about learning Wing Chun, check out the link in the description below to find out about applying for a spot. For those of you who are not quite ready to do full private immersion training, you can also apply for a spot at either our winter or summer intensive training camps. We have a few spots available for non-city Wing Chun students, so apply today. A link for those options are in the description below. And now back to me. All right, next up, a uh, longtime frequenter, JP Steve's Hannah Zanna Zan. Shan 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 Hannah Hannah. Hannah Hannah. Sifu! Yo. I, lo- <laughs> I lost a front tooth recently, and I am now forced to wear a single tooth denture or a flipper, as they call it. Get My free, you can freak kids out with that. Yeah, flip, yeah. flip it at them? Yeah. Just take it off. <laughs> you know, if if I had like a fake like single false tooth, all right, like a flipper, yeah, and I met someone for the first time, what I would do is I would talk to them, yeah. and when they turn their head, I would take it out, <laughs> and then I would continue talking to them, and then when they turn their head again, I would put it back in. All right, I want to get one now. Yeah, just for that, just for just that. for the comedy. For the... <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to spar with them, right? So you got to spar with them, and then just take a, like a, a hit in the face. Oh wow! Ooh, oh like, wow! Know, He's just going like YouTube pranks, and right? Just right. go ah! <laughs> <laughs> Instagram prank. He's a child. <laughs> yes, I right. am. What's the question? My question is: Can you still do martial arts training while wearing dentures with a mouth guard over them, or is it recommended to take them off during which? Though I primarily focus on grappling arts, so I don't have to worry about taking repeated shots to the mouth. But can a denture get damaged or loosened by being on the receiving end of a judo throw? Thanks in advance. P.S. Sorry for being another poster asking for medical advice. I was going to say, what is this thing? All right. You know, you know what I should do? I should start coming to the podcast wearing like a lab coat with a stethoscope around you know my who, neck. Right? Who will get pissed about that? Dr. Eisen. Dr. Eisen will yeah. get pissed. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So, I, I, I mean, look, I'm spitballing here. All right. <laughs> The amount of medical training I have uh, consists of like two CPR and first aid courses. All right. Okay. And um, and then one semester on uh, brain surgery I did. But that, that's, that's uh, that was in like 
Yeah, public school. Yeah, that was third grade. Yeah, fifth exactly, grade. exactly. Community we performed college. it on a frog. <laughs> Dissecting um, frogs. Yeah, seventh grade. For um, it, well, I, I first of all, I don't know. Talk to your doctor, or your dentist, or your orthodontist. I would assume take take that shit out when you're practicing, yeah. right? It doesn't. You don't want to swallow it. No, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. If I had dentures or a flipper or something like that, and I'm going to do sparring, even even um, grappling. I mean, a lot of times when, when people do their grappling roles in jujitsu, they wear a mouthpiece because mm-hmm. you, you can, you know, in these transitions here, you're, you you clash your, your mouth on someone's head. Yeah. All right. It's not just about getting punched. So I, I would assume it's better to just take all that, take all that hardware out. Why, why do you want something in there? that could potentially get damaged. I would just take that out and put a mouthpiece in. Yeah. It's a lot uh, of potentialities. Yes. Yes, yeah. doc. Yes, doctor. Uh, so um, that is my non-qualified hey. medical opinion. Dr. Dre. All yeah. right. Next up. Uh, this name always baffles me. I asked 2005. All right. From what I've read, Bruce had one leg longer than the other. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was an impediment for him. My uncle had a motorcycle crash as a teenager and was left with one leg longer than another just a little bit. But he would never talk about it. Mm. So it was just the elephant in the room you couldn't talk about. <laughs> did Bruce walk with, like... He did. He did. Wow. So... So he wrote, he wrote that he heard that Bruce had one leg longer than the other. So I read that Bruce had one leg shorter than the other. <laughs> so. Right. Okay. So that, that's what I read. a little different. Already, little... There, already there's conflict in these stories. Right? Well, you know in court that you, they wouldn't have a leg to stand on. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, so yes, oh, among. Um, which leg? The, you know, which one? The first, uh, so, the second, you know, or the third? You, you know what? I don't know. Um, well, th- that's another thing. Obviously, like uh, for a lot of people that think that Bruce Lee was like superhuman, um, Bruce Lee had a number of uh, issues, including some congenital defects. Um, and mm. um, so he wasn't someone who was like this genetically gifted phenom all around. He obviously had some really great genetics in terms of muscle fiber distribution in his lats and um, yeah. what I would assume are probably a higher percentage of fast twitch muscle fibers compared to slow twitch muscle fibers. Um, but he did have some other issues. Um, and one of them was that supposedly he had one leg shorter than the other. Um, this is something, uh, that many people have talked about. I don't know which leg it is. Mm -hmm. Some people claim that this is part of the reason why maybe Bruce suffered a little bit with the Wing Chun stance, because keeping the weight on the rear leg when you have one leg shorter than the other might have, I don't see... This is what people say, but like even when I say it out loud, I go like I still don't understand why it would be an issue. Um, but some people say that maybe that's why he decided to always be up on his heel on his rear leg. But I think that has more to do with the mechanics of the martial arts he was applying, like fencing, you know, being able to spring off that back leg. But again, people are going to kind of they're going to. F- fit the facts to fit their narrative all right bruce lee had one leg shorter than the other that's why he had to be on his toe on his back leg look at bruce lee with on the toe of his back leg therefore he had one leg shorter than the other that's the reason and he couldn't do the wing stance the thing is i don't know i i heard about it you can see when bruce walks um that he kind of goes like like this a little bit all right and that's why when people imitate his walk they kind of do that like where he's got his head down and he's kind of going this way here. You can see that he does that. And the person, in my opinion, who imitates 
or imitated Bruce Lee's walk the best was the, uh, Yun Hua, the stuntman. If you watch Enter the Dragon, Yun Hua um, does uh, two stunts for Bruce in that movie. One, he does the famous backflip when Bob Wall grabs his leg. Um, you know, when he grabs his leg, that's oh, actually Yun Hua doing the backflip. That's not Bruce Lee. But Yun Hua had a very similar body composition to Bruce. That's why he could get away with it. And Yun Hua also does the stunt at the very beginning at the temple where after he defeats Sammo Hung, he claps and then he does those handsprings and then flips over the, the monks who are holding their hands right. there. That's Yun Hua. And if you watch... So badass. He's so badass, right? And if you, the crazy thing about Yun Hua is he could probably still do that today. He's just such a badass. Um, I heard he wants to come onto the podcast. Oh, my God. I would... I would I gave my left testicle for Dan Inosanto to be on the podcast. I would, <laughs> would give my give right, right testicle for Yun Hua to be there, right? <laughs> Uh, so anyway, um, if you watch wow. if you watch that clip uh, that that opening scene in Enter the Dragon, so you know Bruce he claps and then he starts the cartwheel, <laughs> and then cut in the handsprings which are Yunwa, and then the flip, and then he lands, dunk, all right, and then he walks away, and it's the back, it's still Yunwa, and when you watch Yunwa walk away, he walks with that little dunk, 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 just like uh. Bruce. That's why so many people don't like didn't realize that that was a stunt guy because Yun Hua was such a good or is such a good actor. He even imitated Bruce Lee's gait walking after the flip. Oh, by the way, he even did another stunt for Bruce. I forgot. There's a third one in the opening fight. Uh, there's a kip up uh, that yeah. that Bruce that that's also Yun Hua. All right. Damn Yun Hua. Yeah, Yun Hua. So so if you watch Into the Dragon again after that flip. Watch how he lands and walks away, like with his head down. That's that's Yunwa doing some world class Bruce Lee acting. All right, which is incredible. So that's kind of that's all I know about this this shorter leg thing. I don't. I mean, I've heard that for years, but Mm -hmm. what relevance that has to anything? Um, You know, obviously, all humans have asymmetries. All right, if you if you look at a photo of your face divide it in half and put them next to each other. I mean, we all look like we all look like two different clowns on each side of our face, right? <laughs> you have you have one side of your face that's higher than the other and lower. Huh. You have asymmetries in we, as much as we try there's usually one shoulder that's slightly higher than the other, one arm that's a little bit longer, uh one hip that's a little bit higher. Asymmetries are totally normal in human beings. It's just a matter of to what degree. So apparently his leg asymmetry was enough that it was like a thing, but we all we all have it to a certain I saw degree. So a guy the other day he had a he had a shoulder that came out to here left shoulder uh-huh and i was like wow wow one of tom cruise's teeth is right <laughs> in the center of his mouth every time you look at him smile is that like david henry that. huang yeah. the real bruce lee <laughs> seriously look at any picture of tom cruise yeah. smiling. it's like right there one yeah. of his teeth it's like tyson's gap right yeah. in the center of his mouth That's some tom, like, cruise, some tom cruise haterade right there you will never be able to unsee it ever wow all, all right, right. Okay. what else you got all right oh man that was interesting <laughs> so easily entertained that's why i'm here james tan james tan okay that's our boy i think if he's, i'm not mistaken i think he's asked a couple questions yeah it's not my dude that came up here recently said what's up we've lots no. of dudes who come up here recently no, no, no it's not that it's not that it's not that could have sworn it was God. him trace goldfish memory <laughs> <All right. laughs> Yeah. Got to clean this goldfish. All right, mem- uh, fish tank. I so very much wanted to hear the KFG say 
he threw his shoes at Shannon Lee when she was on stage telling people nobody knew her dad <coughs> like she did at age three. Great episode, as always, from the whole team. I have a question for the next episode if it makes the cut. Well, it did. Yeah. Who would Alex's top five wish list guests be to have on the pod? And what would he like to ask them? Or, if that's too hard, which five martial artists would he invite to dinner? And what would he be most interested in hearing from each of them? Hmm. Thanks, guys. Sending you all virtual fist bumps. Even my disembodied Aussie brother in the background. <laughs> I know he's only pretending to be Brit. <laughs> from the Black Forest in Germany. All right, there you go. <laughs> Uh, that is a great question. So, who would my top five? I know who one of them podcast. I know who podcast interviews would be. Well, recently we talked about Dan and Asanto. All right. Yeah. What? I know who one of them. What? Would Who's be. gonna be Beardy? What? Who? Black Dynamite. Michael Jai White. Yeah. No. I, I no. I'm not interested in talking to Michael Jai White. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, look, okay, if he wants to be on the podcast. Yeah, the fro, Black Dynamite fro? Yep, he's great in Black Dynamite. Yeah, I I think Black Dynamite's the best thing he's done in Spawn. I am smiling. And you know what else Michael Jai White did, which was really great? When he played Tyson. I don't know any other. Oh, actually, you're right. He did a really good job. He did a really good job. But most of the other stuff that I watch him in, I just go, like, he could do a lot better than this. But um, no, I mean, it's not throwing any haterade. I'm not like, it's not, he's not like, he's not my thing. You know who I do? So, one, Dan and Asanto, we talked about that on a recent episode would give a t- left testicle to have him on the podcast. And the right testicle would go to? We already said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the right testicle would go to? to drum roll, please. We already said it. Yes. So um, <laughs> so that's two so, now. So, well, if I really need to make like a top five wish list. Ooh, okay. okay. Dan and Asanto, for sure. Uh, second, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes. All right. Shay. C- JCVD. V- All right, we got some. We got some unfinished business. Oh, true, true, All right? true. Um, Steven Seagal. All Yo, right. I was watching yes. Above the Law the other night. I'm sure you were. And I watched a little bit of the next movie where he was in a coma, like uh, a hard to kill. Yeah, hard yeah, to kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, marked yeah. for death is still I, the best. Of no, course, of course. No, but I didn't get that far yet. Second, right? No, no, hard to kill is the best. Marked for All death. Right, take it easy. Hard, hard to, to kill is the best. It is the best. I hope that early Seagal is 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 fire. I'm sorry, is fire. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we got we got Dan and Santa. We got John Claude Van Damme. We have Steven Seagal in the list. Amazing. All right. What? Okay, then, um, wow, this is, this is Come very on, you better, you better put my man in there. Who's your man? You know who. Tell me. Don't, don't make me guess. I don't know what's going on in your Chen head. Chen Wei Mun. I would love to have Chen Wei Mun. The only problem. He's not a, in the top. No, 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 no. 
The problem is there's tons of people I would love to have. But you know, the issue with Chan Mai Man is he doesn't speak English. That's the problem. Like, I would you also love to, I would also love to have my, my those things called again, subtitles. But the problem is for an audio podcast, that's not going to work. Or we would have to overdub him and then people are not really listening to him. So I don't really think that works. I mean, yeah, we could we could do a format. Uh, I mean, my good friend Law Mong, the, the toad from Five yeah, Deadly Venoms. you did that with him. I did an interview with him. And you uh, had to do the subtitles yourself. I did the subtitles myself. Wow. I would love to have him on the Kung Fu Genius podcast. But again, it's the same problem. So I have to like exclude people who don't speak English. All right. That's like uh, and it's questionable, um, you know, with Seagal, whether he speaks English or not. So anyway, um, so uh, let's see. After those, I would love to have um, Scott Adkins on the yes. podcast. Yes. Wow. All right. I think he does. A, uh, first of all, I think he's just he's such a phenomenal martial artist. And uh, he his own YouTube channel where he did a number of like I think he called it the art of action where he interviewed a bunch of like action stars Cynthia Rothrock Richard Norton those guys and uh, and he did a really good job I, th mm -hmm. I just think he's excellent and I think it, I think he's he's really fantastic and I think uh, I would love to have him now for I know the who your fifth one is who is it tell me Iron Gerald Iron Gerald who are you talking well, about Iron, Iron Mike I meant to say Mike Tyson yeah yeah, of course. Well, I mean, I, I, I but he's not fifth. Well, no, no, no. Here's the thing. All right, it, it, it's got to be. Uh, I, I have the feeling I would have more of a chance of getting Jean Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal than Mike Tyson. So I'm, I'm also kind of trying to make it somewhat realistic. Okay, so okay, may, maybe okay. Steven Seagal right. is not a realistic one to get for the podcast, and maybe JCVD isn't. Okay, all right. Let, let's let's refine this list of people better, I think yeah, I could right, actually though. get. JCVD is. I don't think I could get him, all right? I don't think I could get him. I think you can. Dude, the dude wouldn't even take a photo with me in Hong Kong, all right? Come on, all right? I think you can get him, all right? based on that alone. Look, you were there. He owes you. You were there when we met Donnie him. Yen owes you. Yeah, yeah, Donnie Yen does owe me that favor. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Chu. Thanks. Thanks, Donnie. <laughs> I met Harvey Weinstein. I had to wait four hours. <laughs> As a favor for you. And all I got was this Yip Man 3 box signed. It's a box for the mug. And it doesn't even have the mug. And I had to shake the hand of Harvey frickin' Weinstein. Sweaty. All right. Clammy hands. Because you are the mug. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, so, no, still. No, I, I, I want it to be some, mm, okay. within the realm of uh, what I could potentially get. All right. mm -hmm. So we had, so let's scratch all those like celebrities that I cannot get. Dan Inosanto, for sure, all right, even though I don't think I can get him. Um, I would love to get Beardy on the channel. And I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even joking. The real Beardy, I want to see this person, and I want to ask him questions about Bruce Lee. I want to ask him basic trivia about Bruce Lee and see, and see what he could do. Quick right. 10? Yeah, quick, quick 10. 10 episode. Quick 10 episode. <laughs> he, he considers himself the foremost expert awesome. on Bruce Lee. I would not ask him weird stuff. Like like stuff that's really hard, like a, like lines out of Bruce Lee's kid films. I would okay. ask him like basic ass facts, just <laughs> just to expose that this guy actually doesn't know anything about Bruce Lee. Um, and so I would, so Dan Asanto, awesome. I would have Beardy. Uh, I would like to have maybe Cynthia Rothrock, all right, which would be amazing. Um, I'll still put Scott Atkins on that list, although he's pretty unattainable, I'm sure <laughs> at this point. Um, what about Shokazugi? Shokasugi would be amazing. Shokasugi, that would be awesome. Be lit, legit, super legit, with um, the ninja outfit on. Yeah, but there is there's one. 
uh, that I want to get. And I'm working on it, though I can't promise it. All right. And uh, he, all I'm going to say is he is a famous villain of Shaw Brothers films. And he happens to speak English. So I'm, I'm working on it. All right. Um, but again, most of my audience only cares when I talk about Bruce Lee or Wing Chun. So I'll literally get the most legendary villain from Shaw Brothers and the video will get 500 views. Because <laughs> this is why you're talking about Bruce Lee and no. Pac and, and why Jeet Kune Do is... So anyway. Man. Next question. What's the guy's name? I'm not going to say. Let's try. All righty then. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up we got Ed... 7501. All right. Because 7,500 other ones were already yeah, taken. Yeah. So he had to go to the next one, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Chen Wai Man is a living legend. Everyone loves Chen Wai Man, huh? Okay. And that's all he says. Yeah. You know what? Screw it. If I could get Chen Wai Man on this podcast, yeah, you, screw you, it. You go through the subtitles. I, I, I would put subtitles on the yeah. YouTube version. Yeah. And then I would just overdub them in English on the audio version. All right. You go. You'd have There's to do it solution. BBC style. I'll do the overdub. In a oh, right. I was yes. literally about to suggest that. So refined. Yeah. Yes. I was going to suggest that. When I met Bruce Lee. When I met Bruce Lee, I found him to be very erudite. Yes. Oh, wow. I have two. I have two audio recordings of Chad Maiman, which were uh, not. They're not public recordings where mm. he talks about Bruce Lee, mm. uh, given Ooh. to me by, let's just say, an insider, and they're effing mind blowing. They're effing mind blowing. It's 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 like him at a restaurant, like riffing about Bruce Lee. It's not him in an interview, mm. and it's freaking mind blowing. It's freaking mind blowing. It's obviously in Cantonese, Dope. but yeah, no man, uh, I would love to have Chan Mai Mun. That would, uh, but I, I would be so nervous because you, you're talking to not only a legend of Hong Kong cinema, but you're also talking to someone who was a bit of a a bit of an underworld boss yeah. at some point, right? Yeah. And um, and I have nothing but respect for Tan Mai Man. And so he doesn't speak English. I would have to you have ask to. him questions in Cantonese, yeah. but I would be very nervous about saying something wrong in Cantonese because he's, he's the last dude you want to piss off. <laughs> um, you would see the Kung Fu genius be yeah. just a bumbling idiot. <laughs> I would just be... Dah, 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 dah. Um, what? No, because so. no, there. Uh, you know what? It's crazy. I've, I've, I've had the chance to meet like a couple, uh, like bigger Hollywood celebrities, and like American actors and stuff. Yeah. And very rarely do I get starstruck or super nervous. Like I can have a conversation. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've never had that happen. Um, I wonder. But wow, I tell you, when I meet yeah. Hong Kong movie stars. Oh. Um, because I grew up watching them and I have such oh. respect for their artistry. Like when I met Siu Hao from Mad Monkey Kung Fu or when I met Lo Mong for the first time, I was just such a bumbling freaking idiot. I was just, I, I remember pouring the tea for Siu Hao and just feeling like just in my mind going, I get don't that. spill it, you idiot. Don't spill it, you idiot. You <laughs> I know? get that. You know yeah. why? I, I feel like I, I had this big crush on Dolly Parton when I was a little, 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 little boy, like everyone five had, years old. Everyone had a crush on Dolly Parton. I would, I would, be bumbling too. Yeah. If I met Dolly Parton yeah. right now, even yeah, right, I get totally. it. Totally. Me too. I would be like, because hey, that hey, little hey. kid is there. Yes. Like, exactly. Blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially the ones from like the time when yeah. you were a little kid. Like for me, that would be like, you know, anyone from Star Wars, like yeah. Harrison Ford, uh, okay. Mark Hamill, like these people yeah. that were like they had this uh, impression, right? I begged my mom to take me to see Nine to Five. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Nine to Five is a great I'm film. Five it's just old, fantastic. Mm. When I'm five years old. When they're all getting high after they've, you know what I mean? Oh, it's, it's the best. Jane Fonda's like, this is good pot. <laughs> it's fantastic. Jane Fonda. Yeah, I'm so Fonda, Jane Fonda. I tell you, the only two people I've ever got starstruck in the... Actually, three people, right? Thierry Henry, because he's amazing. No okay. idea who that is. Um, yeah, he's a fantastic ex-footballer. Um, oh, okay. Ice-T. Oh, uh, Ice-T. That makes and sense. That was... Yeah. I got a photo of him and looked like the whitest man in the room when, when next to him. <laughs> what? And he was super nice. And then Cher. I met wow. Cher. Interesting. You know, I mean, I don't care, but it's like it's Cher. She's right. a superstar. My yeah. boy, my boy took a piss next to Michael Jackson. Really? Yeah. His dad owns Bryan Park Grill, the uh-huh. restaurant. Yes. And Michael Jackson was doing an event in that restaurant that day, and literally, he comes downstairs to use the bathroom, and there's security outside. Like, wait, hey, hey, where are you going? He's like, I gotta use the bathroom. He's like, no, 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 you can't go in, buddy. And then he's like, dude, my dad owns the place, and he just walks in. Uh huh. And he goes in, takes a piss, and he looks over, and it's Michael Jackson. Holy <laughs> cow. It's like, <laughs> all right, next up, we got David 1010723. There you go. Okay. I have a question. Here we go. That's good. Actually, he has a two-parter, so I don't know a if two-parter. that counts as right, one question. All right, let's see. How many schools do you have in the States? And... Do you think that Beardy is watching your channel? Uh, I don't think Beardy's watching my channel because uh, I don't think he has any intellectual drive to learn anything about Bruce Lee, uh, which is pretty evident from from his videos. How many schools I have? Uh, we have a few schools. I don't know. I don't really mark my success by how many schools we have. We have uh, the headquarters here in New York. Mm-hmm. We have a branch in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, one in Connecticut, mm-hmm. uh, one in uh, New Jersey, mm-hmm. one in Columbus, Ohio. And one in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what what blows me away is people always ask me stuff like that. It's like, have, have you looked at the description of every single podcast we ever have? Yeah. Link for all of my stuff is down there. Like, I've had people ask me what style I teach, where my schools, where do I teach? It's like, it's there's all there. a link. Whether you listen to <laughs> this on audio down, right? or whether you watch it on YouTube, right. there's a link on how to get my books and how to get training and everything like that. And so it's all that information It's usually for every is podcast or pretty every much, YouTube Pretty much, page, pretty much, right? yeah. yeah. Um, I, I made a choice when I created my own association. Unlike some of my other WT colleagues and contemporaries, I don't really measure my success by having tons and tons of branches. There, there are lots of WT guys who just will just adopt WT people from other associations, be like, okay, now you teach under me and blah, 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 blah. But I I really, I don't like that because I want to actually have a relationship with the people who represent the style that I teach, the style flavor of Wing Chun that I teach. So I have a higher uh, bar for people who open schools under me. And uh, so I I don't earn my money by teaching seminars. I earn my money by teaching Wing Chun here in New York. Mm -hmm. And so whether I have 10 schools or five, that that's not really my business model. So, yeah, we have a few, but I'm not super interested in expanding. I would rather have a few small schools that are really teaching my curriculum in a, in a way that I think is honest and, and, and up to date mm-hmm. than have a bunch of people who are just using my name for their own benefit. Uh, mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Next up, Iggy Pop. No, I mean Iggy Powell. My oh, bad, okay. my bad, my Got bad. It. I read that. I misread that. You sure did. I mean, sometimes uh, 
SWL looks like a P to me. I know. All right. Hi, Sifu Alex. Really enjoying the podcast. Bruce Lee was such a staunch proponent of sparring in his approach to martial arts. It appears in many Wing Chun schools, sparring is not practiced. Often cited that Wing Chun it's in Wing Chun is for self-defense only and sparring represents a scenario where two people engage in consensual violence. How do you, at City Wing Chun, approach sparring and pressure testing techniques and skills of your students? Mm. It is something you learned in Germany, or no, is it something you learned in Germany, Hong Kong, or is it your own innovation? Thanks again, the KFG Podcast. Great to hear Wing Chun discussed in a modern and pragmatic context. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, so my approach is uh, kind of a mixture of all the different methodologies that I've learned. Some stuff is obviously I'm most influenced by the Hong Kong phase of my training, like mm -hmm. learning from instructors who either in Hong Kong or I trained in Hong Kong, basically the Hong Kong expression of WT, which is pretty different from the European version in many respects but a lot of the modern ideas about training obviously i have that from the european side mm. and a lot of stuff is from my own idea from me looking around and seeing what other people are doing people that i respect a lot um yeah there, there's a difference so when we talk about sparring and i mentioned this a number of times this idea okay we're, we're both there going back and forth kind of trading blows in this kind of way that that is um there's definitely a time and a place for that uh, but that doesn't necessarily represent what a self-defense or um, an assault situation looks like. All right. So uh, that's why when we do uh, any kind of sparring, we usually like to have very clear um, roles. Okay, you're the Wing Chun person and I'm not Wing Chun. So I'm not limited to attacking you with Pak Sao, Lap Sao and a low kick. Um, I'm going to come at you with swings and punches and I'm going to try to tackle you and put you in headlocks. Okay. Like the kind of training that we have here, you know? Um, that way the Wing Chun practitioner is getting used to applying their Wing Chun against stuff that doesn't look like Wing Chun, all right? And that's how we've been teaching you guys from the beginning, right? Straight punches that are not Wing Chun straight punches. Swings, overheads, uh, tackles, takedowns, headlocks, someone just grabbing your arms, swarming you. Um, all these kind of things, giving you non-Wing Chun kicks, side kicks, spin kicks, all those kind of stuff, right? So that's why we, we do it with, uh, obviously, with equipment, and we do it with the kind of like role-playing and then building the resistance progressively, uh, mm -hmm. which we, we do then in all of the tests we have for like the, the different ranks or whatever. So that's pretty much how we do it, by having um, delineated roles. Okay, you're Wing Chun, I'm not Wing Chun. And then we either do it in uh, from classical setup or from a self-defense frame or from a surprise attack setup. So there's a different modalities you can use. And um, one of the things that I make sure that the students learn here pretty much early on is what we call good bad guy behavior. Oh, when you're the bad guy. Um, love good bad guy. Yeah, good bad guy behavior, right? Because you have to give your partner <clears throat> attacks and pressure that is congruent to the kind of things that are going to happen on the street. But you also need to be able to give it progressively based on your partner's current skill level. So when your partner is a beginner, you go a little bit easier. It's a little bit more playful. As your partner gets better, you gradually crank up the volume dial where you're starting to push in a little bit more and, and use a little bit more pressure and, and power. And um, we use things like um, when we teach the students how to be a good bad guy, we say, okay, 
uh, inspiring sometimes, especially for the senior students. I'll be like, all right, guys, go ahead and use any opener you want and then try to just smother your partner and bring them to the ground or something like okay. that. And then the Wing Chun person has to defend that. So sometimes like for the senior students, I'll give them basic directives. But for the more junior students where they need a little bit more uh, guidance, I, I'll usually give them like a couple options for openers. Okay, I'll say, okay, when you're the bad guy, I want you guys to open either with like a straight punch, a jab, a swing, a low punch, whatever. And then I want you to use one of the five add-ons, which are like mm -hmm. normal human behaviors in fighting. People either run, they press, they put you in a headlock, they try to grab your arms, they try to tackle you, right? Uh, and then so the, the bad guy knows that they can use, let's say, these three different openers and then any of those five add-ons afterwards. So there's built in variation to the way that the bad guy is going to attack and then as they get better we add different types of add-ons and um and we use that to gradually increase the pressure but it, it, it's um it's still a step-by-step -step method um we we don't really focus too much on that kind of tag sparring back and forth kind of stuff because it's, it's really not the nature of what happens on the street Jeez. so it, it's something that's built up and, and this is something that you know has been refined over time mm-hmm Lit. We got time Legit. for one more? I think we do. All right, let me uh, scroll down. Oh, yeah. To the next page. Now I got to scroll. Scrolling down. Yeah, scrolling down. Scrolling down. All right, yeah. All right, next up, we got Dreisen. Dreisen? Yeah. God, thank God it's not that Dr. Eisen guy. Oh, Dr. Eisen, that was weird. He just popped up out of nowhere. Yeah, that was guy. weird. Yeah, wow, you really had to scroll down low for that one, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. I saw you for scrolling. I, saw, yeah. I was scrolling. Yeah. Two-finger scroll. So, yeah, Dreisen's asking a uh, hypothetical. Shocker. <laughs> That's never happened before. No. Right? Almost deja vu-esque. But, hey, Sifu Alex, appreciate you, man. You, I've learned so much. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm reading. I've learned so much from your podcast. I was looking right at you while I was reading. It was I almost lost, almost lost where I was reading. <laughs> I've learned so much from your podcast, unlike Beardy's podcast. But hey, keep well, up the all, great work. Beardy doesn't have a podcast. He has a YouTube channel. He makes YouTube videos. True, true. Yeah, that's what he wrote. Don't put him in the same category as me, Dryson. That's what he wrote. Okay. All right, I can, I mean, I, you know how I know he wrote it because you keep pointing at the screen. Just to make sure to see that's what he wrote right that's here. It's right here. It's right, right here. Seems yeah. a little bit nitpicky though, yeah. doesn't it? I know. Oh. You know. You know. Little known fact about Dre, his eyesight is shit, but he refuses to go to an optometrist to get glasses. All right. What? And I'm this starting. No, your eyes are shit. This We've had this not, conversation before. Yeah, you don't want to go to the eye doctor. Not factual. He's he's, he's always squinting and shit's like Dre. Your age, get some freaking glasses. Go, no. get some contacts. But I'm starting to think the reason why he doesn't want to get glasses because he doesn't want me to look in the reflection and see that he ain't <laughs> shit right now. All right. You also look like a budget Moby. A budget Moby. I remember Moby. Remember him? That would be yeah. funny. Eminem used to like threaten him, which is like that's not really tough. That's <laughs> <laughs> not. Oh man. So yeah. Uh, Good stuff, man. Keep up the good work. I have a question for you. Um, so you're... I love interrupting Dreisen questions because it, it, throws it, always, it always throws off his form. Because <laughs> he's like in the middle of making some shit up and then Dre with his goldfish memory. Then you just interrupt him talking about eyeglasses and Moby and shit like that. And then suddenly he's like, oh, right, right. right okay, right. now keep reading. Keep reading. I'm reading. I'm reading. All right, there you go. So you're upstairs on the fifth floor. 
training two of your uh, top bruisers. Ooh. Tom and Arnell. But they're in a semi-private session and they're training together. But you you said, you know what? I want you guys to start kicking the bag a little. And then, uh, of course, they're going back and forth, kicking the bag, kicking the heavy bag. And you're like, you know what? It's too much swaying back and forth with the bag. Let me hold it. I don't know why would you do that, but he said you did that. You, you're holding the bag, and they're, they're going back and forth with all types of boom, boom, kicks, boom, kicking the bag, kicking the bag. And you're like, ah, oh, ah, oh, you're grunting it because you know. You, like, yeah, I'm grunting it. And then all of a sudden, Arnell kicks the sh out of that bag. Boom! And you're like, you feel the, ah. You just like wait. You, you I like, want to blink see how, this, how all this is written. You feel it. Ah, <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> it's ah, right. and you're like, ooh, whoa, that was. Mm. And you grunt it. Ah, and you look, and all of a sudden, you're holding a bag for Bruce. And you're in his backyard, and you're just like, what the? F-? And he's just looking like, are you ready for the next one? It would, he'd have the right He's lead forward, to, by the way. What? I'm he sorry? would have the right lead forward, by the way, in your you're invitation. Right, you're right. But you... Ready for the next one. All right, there we go. All right. Right? Okay. And then you're, like, kind of traumatized all of a sudden. You're like, what the? What just happened? Where? Why? How? Okay. Wait, all right. Of course he's traumatized. It's like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness here. You know right. what I mean? Sort right. of. Arnell just kicked him into a completely different dimension. <laughs> I know. Like, okay. The existential dread. We've yeah. exactly. gone over this. Exactly. He doesn't understand. It's no, always the existential dread. That's right. He doesn't like, understand this stuff. My family isn't even born yet. <laughs> Am yeah, I awake? No. Am I asleep? I wish Dreisen would understand this. Yeah, I wish he, he would too. Right? Yeah. Me he too. Doesn't, he doesn't seem to learn. He doesn't. No. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. All right. Let's Poor go. God. Let's go. So yeah, you you you're about to get kicked in the bag by Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Do you hold it or you say, wait, 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 wait? Okay. Hold, 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 hold. So what hold. do I do? I'm about to get kicked. Well, first of all, I, I would, it would be an honor to hold the bag while Bruce Lee kicks it. Oh, all wow. right. Okay. I would, I would let him kick. I'd yeah. go, boom. That was awesome. Hey, Bruce, <laughs> I need to have a talk with you. I need to have a talk with you about cocaine, Bob Baker, and Taiwanese women. All right. Let's go in. Let's go have some dim sum. But he just started training. No, it doesn't matter. I say, hey, Bruce, I will speak to him in Cantonese. Yeah. All right. Okay. And say, uh, which would blow his mind. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Oh wow. And uh, let's go. Let's go get your favorite what would uh, you say oyster. In oyster beef. How would you say it? Um. Let's see. That you know that's put me on the spot because ah, what 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 would I say to, to Bruce, Bruce Lee and Cantonese? I think to Bruce Lee to and Cantonese. Tell him. Yeah. Hey, let's not kick the bag anymore. I'm, yeah. I'm a little. I'm a little beat up yeah. after that one kick. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gao cha. Gao cha. Gao cha. Yeah. No, no, no. We nope. just would say like, "Hey, come on, let's uh, <laughs> let's go eat something." All right. But hey, I just started. Let's go eat. All right. Let's go eat. Okay. And he'd be like, "What? Come on, let's go eat." <laughs> Wait, I just okay? started. I just yeah. started. All right. Yeah. And then I would say, "All right, we need to uh, we need to have a talk." All right. Hmm. We need to have a talk about Bobby Baker. <laughs> we need to have a talk about cocaine. We need to have a talk about Taiwanese women. 
who are not very talented actresses. Oh, all right? Man. We need to have this talk right now. All right? Let me financial plan for you. All right? Okay? And I would try to fix, all right, the, uh, the nexus event that is Bruce Lee dying in Betty Tingpei's apartment. Mm-hmm. All right? I mean, we need to fix these things. Would you, right? How would you fix this? Would you hang out with him and, and keep him away from Betty Tingpei? You so, so if if I was stuck back in that time, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can, can. I'm pretty sure I can convince Bruce with my knowledge of him. Oh wow! And what's going to happen in the future? Because if we were in 1967, I can tell him stuff that's going to happen to him in 1969. So I'm pretty sure that I could convince him, like, oh, dude, this guy's like something special. Wow! All right, and I would be his right hand man, and I'd be like, this is what we're going to do. All right, this is how we're going to set up your career. This is this, these are the people you need to stay away with from. And, uh, you know, you need to stay away from the cocaine. All right. Okay. Um, and you need to stay away from Petty Tinkpei. All right. She's crazy. She's, she's batshit crazy. Um, and hopefully I could, I could steer Bruce into a long career. And, uh, long life. Long life. All right. So I've got a question, though. It's more mm-hmm. kind of, this one's kind of aimed at Dryson. So, okay. like, kind of for Well, he's not both here to answer the question. Are, are you sure about that? I'm totally sure. Are he, you he's, sure? He's only on paper. Okay. Well, first of all, that's a laptop. So, you know, <laughs> kind of like n- enough with your old school wow. references, right? Secondly, wow. it's just like, and I kind of actually a question for you, um, Seagong. It's mm. kind of like, after all of these hypotheticals, I'm like, would you even want to live in New York? Because it sounds like you're actually Scott Bakula. You're like, this is you quantum Scott, leap. Scott Bakula. <laughs> Bacula. Bacula. Scott Bacula. 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 Sounds Jesus. cooler. Scott Bacula. Bacula. Yeah. Because no, no, Bacula, Blackula, Dracula, like Bacula. Uh, Bacula. We're going to do it, right? Try so to make it cooler. <laughs> no, like, I mean, look, if, you're, if, you, if you go back in time and you have no way of getting back to your time period, mm. and I'm there with Bruce, then I'm 100% going to be Bruce's right-hand man. But it just seems that there's every every week there's another question, and all of them like so. The assumption has to be that you made it back somehow. Yeah. So what happens? Uh, how do you make it back each time? Maybe it's when I succeed in the mission, then Ooh. I'm 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 poofed back to the modern era. So it's sort of kind of like a mixture of Quantum Leap and Edge of Tomorrow. Which okay. is that? So I don't know any of those references. Well, you don't know Quantum Leap. I know Quantum Leap. Never watched it though. Well, yeah. Because well, I, when I was growing up, I had a life. Basically, he, you know, Scott Bakula, yeah. like he, um, he, he, he completes his mission as he goes through and jumps into other people's bodies. Mm-hmm. And then he gets sent to another place in time to fix another mm. time like issue. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas Edge of Tomorrow is where Tom Cruise constantly gets killed until he completes his mission and mm. then he doesn't get killed again. Mm. And he's always in war. So somehow the mission like Groundhog seems- Day with. Yeah, it's, yeah, okay, yeah, it's more of a Groundhog Day. I like, so his, somehow. I like how more lowbrow his references. <laughs> it's like Groundhog it Day. Really? Take it's it, like that one SNL skit I saw movie. once. Yeah. yeah. So somehow you keep having to like have these conversations with mm. Bruce Lee. Somehow he keeps not following your, uh, you know, your, 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 your advice. Yeah, and because somehow... I feel it's inevitable that he has to die young. That's part of Bruce Lee's destiny. But it's like at some point, you're never going to leave your house for fear that you might hold a heavy bag for one of your students and get randomly kicked into that's another right. dimension. Into, that's right, yeah. Into that time frame. Huh? Yeah, that so might happen. These questions yeah. get maybe, more and more maybe, maybe this podcast is just me in one of those alternate dimensions. Now this podcast is you in purgatory. You know the, yes. the, the, white, the white place in uh, Matrix Revolution? Yes. Terrible film. The, what's it? The train station. That's this. Ooh. So basically, I'm in hell. And that's all. 
I gotta say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. If you have any questions you want me to answer on a future episode, go ahead and write those in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. You ready, man? I'm ready. Yeah, I, the, the problem is, again, you have to ask Dre everything four times. Oh, it's it's like talking to my daughter, space. Maria. I had a cookie in it, too. Yeah, of course. All right. <laughs> Lots of, yo, KFG, I need you to, ex to I need you to this. solve this time-traveling, existential, hypothetical, so we don't all perish. I don't like that one. No, it's too many hard <laughs> words for you, that's why. <laughs> I don't like that one. <laughs> Beating Dracula like Scott Bakula. <laughs> Get back. You know what? Get back like that Scott Bakula. That last one you just make up as a hodgepodge of like that last question. Okay. How about you just make that hey, shit yo, up seafood. while you say it? All right, peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems. Lots of Bruce Lee not learning the wooden dummy. Lots of Yo Sifu. I need you to figure this out, man. It's gonna be a long morning. Yes. It's no, we gotta do the other no, thing. No, yeah, I know we gotta do the other thing, but I, I can already sense it in my last remaining testicle. All right, peoples. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems. Lots of Bruce Lee not learning the wooden dummy. Lots of Yosifu. I need you to figure this hypothetical. Yeah, I need you to get back. I'm kind of glad you fucked that one up because you said, all right, peoples. I know. The people are going to fucking revolt because it's peeps. It's peeps. All right, peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius. <laughs> Come on, man. That's a, a three year fight. <laughs> Yo, Mikey D and I both turned our heads to each other at the same time. That was some, you really was... need to get a, a camera on Mikey Dean. And, uh,. Where the dragon, when Bruce Lee kills that one dude. Chuck Norris? And he, and he, no, earlier. Yeah. He, he like does the, the jump onto his head and he does the, right? right? Yeah. And then he goes down and. It gives, <laughs> gives, gives him a wet willy claw <laughs> on the face. breaking yeah. his. <laughs> that's it. That's right. what I'm, that's the effect I'm going for. All right. All right. All right, <laughs> right peep. Asa.